Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. Once again, I have the utmost pleasure of talking to award-winning therapist, Sally Baker. And today we tackle the subject of our behaviours around alcohol. We examine what makes us drink to excess, how we normalise abnormal and unsafe behaviours around drinking, and the staggering psychological and physiological changes that begin to occur when we abstain from alcohol for an extended period. Sally also offers some excellent strategies of how to combat the temptation of falling off the wagon and red flags to look out for in our relationships when we decide to stop drinking. I've also included some useful contacts in the show notes if you or anyone you know is affected by the issues we cover in this episode. So please join me as we look at life through a different lens. Hello, Sally, and welcome back to the Perception Podcast. It is absolutely wonderful to have you here again um, chatting. It's always wonderful having you here chatting. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, now, we're it's the Christmas period, well, New Year, Christmas and New Year, and um, people, one of the main kind of topics uh, or issues, I should say, is uh, that that um, rears its head is the consumption of alcohol, and uh, people, and also are, and also into New Year, the um, uh, people wanting to give up alcohol, uh, and you've had your own journey. Mm-hmm with abstaining from alcohol yeah. for for a hundred days yes. and more and longer. And but longer. Um, it, what I'd really like to do is, is in this conversation is to focus on looking at why we drink, looking at when we stop drinking, what happens to us? <laughs> um, also looking at ways that we can cope with not drinking, um, strategies we can use that will help us to abstain from alcohol if we so choose to. Yeah. Um, and and I suppose everything around that, okay, massive topic, everything around that um, and, and why... I suppose, yeah. Why people are drinking, and why, and why we, and why we choose to stop drinking, and then also the the physiological effects and the psychological effects. Yeah, just in a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. problem. No pressure. Yeah. Um, so, as a therapist, I see clients, and it's rare that a client comes and says, "I've got a problem with alcohol," but they do arrive and say, "I've got a problem with anxiety," or "I'm an insomniac." or um, I'm really feeling paranoid, or I'm worried about my performance at work, or my sexual performance, all kinds of associated things. And and it's like unpeeling the layers of an onion. So we explore from what they present with, you know, what that means to them, how it's showing up in their lives. And one of the things I ask them is, so tell me about your relationship with alcohol. What What's happening with you and booze? And to a man and a woman, they say, oh, that's okay. My drinking is completely normal. And I say, you're going to have to help me with this because everyone's perception of normal, Hmm. perception podcast, very apt, is different. So you tell me what your normal is. 
and they say, well, you know, drink most days or drink every day. And so, and they go off on a kind of bit of a narrative. And then I ask, so when was the last time you blacked out through drinking? And they say things like, oh, God, I haven't blacked out for ages. It must be at least a week or 10 days. Or I haven't blacked out for a couple of months. But it's something that is that happens to them, and it happens fairly regularly. And it's within living memory. So, you know, you can already begin mm. to put together the picture that they're drinking way above any normal amount. They're, they're harming themselves with, with alcohol. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it is quite staggering, really, when you when you put it that way, when one person's idea of normal, I mean, what is normal? There is no normal. One person's yeah. idea of normal is once a week to black out yeah. Yeah. from alcohol consumption is quite frightening. And, it, and, and I think in your blog, you said it's this idea that we're normalizing something that is abnormal. Yeah. And they, they, then there are associated stories that come with the block with the blacking out, and it might be that, um, and this will be another deeper layer of the onion that won't come out, maybe in the initial conversation, but it will come out in when they want to talk about their behaviours and and how they're about their dating experiences, for instance, or what's mm. happening for them romantically, and they say things like, "Well, I woke up in bed with this man in a hotel, and I can't remember him, I didn't know where I was." And I blacked out, and that was all from that's all booze related. So you know these things don't happen in isolation; they are they're part of a bigger picture mm. of putting oneself at harm mm. quite often. Mm. And I mean, yeah. So people, so people do that to they put themselves at harm. I, I suppose it's self abandonment, yeah. and and also I suppose the use of alcohol can people can say it's some form of a coping strategy to deal with anxiety or to deal with whatever stress stress or whatever feeling that they're feeling. But unfortunately, the science of how alcohol works on our bodies is that it's terrible for stress because one of the things that happen when we drink regularly and and then go to sleep is that REM, the rapid eye movement sequencing uh, that we have throughout the night, our, our REM sequences are reduced when we've been drinking. So it's it's during REM sleep that we process that day's worth of stresses and anxieties. So when you're the most stressed, you absolutely need your REM sleep mm. because that's your that's your that's your brain's way of kind of decompressing, letting go, processing. And you think to yourself, "Oh God, I'm so stressed. I've got to have a drink." That in turn reduces your REM sleep, and that in turn reduces your natural ability to process whatever's bothering you. So it's an incredible vicious circle. Yeah, yeah, vicious circle. And and um, you've had, so you've had your own, as I was saying before, your own 100 days yeah. of not drinking and, and have written about that. And one of the things that featured was the effect on your sleep um, and also that you, that you remembered your dreams. Can you expand a little yeah. on that? For years and years and years, I never would remember my dreams. And I gave up alcohol, and it's probably a couple of weeks in, and you wake up in the morning and your dreams are really vivid and they're really memorable. And I was quite blown away that, oh, my God, it was happening or perhaps all the time in my brain, but I was never aware of them. So, you know, when you stop drinking, 
expect your dreams, expect miracles, expect dreams to come back. And that's quite a thing. That's quite something. Mm. And, you know, people say, well, I can't sleep if I don't drink. And what then they're not doing is they're not going to sleep. They're unconscious mm. <laughs> that you're drugging yourself with alcohol so that you pass out or you, it, it's not a natural kind of listening to the radio or reading a book or having sex with yourself or with someone else and then going to sleep. It's a, it's a kind of chemical kosh. You're chemically koshing yourself into sleep. So it takes, it's going to take your body a while to get used to the idea that sleep should be a kind of gradual, mm. a gradual progression into rest and recuperation. So, um, you know, it's not enough of a reason to carry on drinking that, oh, I can't sleep unless I've had a drink because that's part of the vicious circle. You're just going to have mm. to go through it for a while, a week, four days, five days. It takes you a slightly longer to get to sleep. And then you, your body will remember. We have a lot of muscle memory about yeah. about being able to go to sleep naturally. And it's there. Yeah. It's there for us. And another and another positive side effect of, of not drinking is that I suppose that the feeling that you feel refreshed when you wake up, obviously yeah. you've had – yeah. You know, one, proper- yeah. I mean, that, that for me was like, I never woke up and went bouncing out of bed and felt, <laughs> and I was, and I felt slightly duped by, because I wanted to wake up and feel, you know, golden and newborn. And nah, I was still a bit knackered in the mornings, but not, nothing like if you'd, if you'd really been on a bender and you'd just feel terrible. And also older women, because of, of uh, fat and, ha- and where it's deposited on our bodies, we metabolize alcohol really inefficiently mm. over about 35. It's just like, one of those terrible things where women just suffer more greatly than men. So our ability to deal with hangovers is just gets worse and worse. So that hangover would last three to four days. It's not great. So, you know, enjoy it. It's a useful activity. And then move on to something else that works better for you as you get older. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I have to say, as we were talking earlier, I have found myself and people who are listening to this who know me will be shocked and surprised. As I was saying, you know, cut me, cut me and I and I bleed wine. But um, I found myself actually not wanting to just naturally not desiring mm. alcohol. But I think that has to do with a, a lifestyle change because I have left one job and I'm doing my own kind of creative work and maybe that is taking the place of the thing that I needed yeah uh, through it yeah to get me through it yeah yeah so that maybe this is your intuition on a very deep level saying actually I don't need that anymore I'm yeah. okay now. yeah yeah as I say my <laughs> my friends will be shocked in disbelief but um and and I mean, also around drinking, I suppose there is all of everything that has to do with the 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 social aspect of drinking that if you decide not to, it's really, you know, one of those is the, the hardest things if you're going out with a group of people. Oh, it's a social, it can be a social anathema. But another thing, clients who recognise that they've got, that their drinking is out of control, um, no one wants to be teetotal. Everyone wants to go straight to the holy grail of being able to manage moderate drinking. Mm. But moderate drinking is really tricky. 
trust me, abstinence is easier than moderate drinking. Wow. By the time we've had one or two glasses and thinking of ourselves as moderate, our judgment's already skewed. And we're thinking, oh, might as well have another. Or I'm enjoying this so much, I'll have another. You know, so moderate drinking is really difficult to achieve and really difficult to maintain. Whereas abstinence, when you've got over the first four or five days and of missing it and thinking, oh, here I am preparing dinner, I would normally have a glass of wine, or here Mm. I am sitting down to watch a movie, I'd normally have a beer, and that's not happening. So when you've got over that sort of moments of grief, then um, you're going to you're going to you'll be over that bit, but mm. it's so the abstinence is easier. I cannot stress that enough. The moderate drinking that seems quite you know that does seem quite um, I suppose when people are listening quite hard to hard yeah. to wrap your head round. Yeah, because everybody is like, well, I'll, I'll just have one drink. But as you say, it's yeah, never just it's, one it drink. It is very difficult to just have the one drink. But think about moderate drinking, and if the goal is to moderately drink, then something like dry January or you know the October stop October thing, when you have thirty days where you say, actually, I'm just going to recalibrate. Mm. I'm not going to stop forever. I'm just going to give myself a week or two weeks. You set it. It's These are your rules for your boundaries for yourself. Set yourself a time when you are going to recalibrate and have no alcohol for a period of time. And then you can decide how much you want to introduce, reintroduce, or how regularly you want to reintroduce. Mm. Because often people have no boundaries around drinking. So if they say to me, I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to ever want to be teetotal because it will alarm all of my family and all of my friends and everyone will think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and I say, okay, then can you manage Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, no alcohol, and then have your drink days as Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Can mm. you do that? You know, start to think of, start to divide up the week instead of it being, oh, I have drink every day. Just have it those kind of three to four days in the weekend around mm. the weekend when it's feasible, when it's my, maybe there's more space for you to drink. Mm. But have a couple of days when you don't drink, Monday, Tuesday. If you could do that, just start with that. Start small incremental steps, and it'll feel really high energy. Stopping drinking will feel monumental. It'll take all of your brain space up with the idea of not drinking. And every day when you don't drink, you'll think, oh, It's one day, it's two days, it's three, and you'll put an asterisk on your phone or in your notepad or in your diary, and it'll be a big deal. And then the day will come, don't know which day it will be for you, could be day 45 or day 96, where you'll think, God, you know what? I haven't drank for ages and I haven't missed it. Mm. But it'll begin by being high energy, and then you'll just assimilate it, and you won't miss it. And I think, I mean, that's that's a really important um, important uh, fact. I think, but but also, isn't it that idea of breaking a habit? And yeah. and I mean, I remember I did a juice fast, mm. and it was for thirty days, and it was you know not it was kind of juicing, but juicing vegetables yeah. and etc. You know, people said, "Did you miss?" eating solid food. And I was just like, no, I, no, not really, actually. But what I did notice, which was, which kind of stopped me in my tracks, literally and metaphorically, is that I would 
go to a supermarket. I would finish work and I might, and naturally kind of wander to the supermarket to pick up something to eat, to, you know, and when I wasn't doing that because I'd had my juice and I was juicing and taking things with me to work to drink, I would, I would be like, wow, the amount of time I'm saving by not going into roam around the supermarket in a, you know, a hungry haze. Um, And, and it was those behaviors. I really noticed those, those behaviors changing those things, put it, taking myself out of certain situations, which I wasn't even aware that I was placing myself in. And do you think that's the same with the, with, with the booze, I think because it all happens below conscious awareness and it becomes part of who we are and part of our benchmark. We don't even pay any mind. So there is, it, it happens in a zoned out state. Psychologists worked out it takes around 21 days to embed a new habit. The breaking habits is harder than embedding a change of habit. Mm. So if you are thinking, right, I'm going to give up booze for three weeks, really embed it, 21 days. I'm going to give up booze 21 days and I'm going to go for a really rigorous walk or let's not be ableist, but, you know, run. I'm going to go for an evening run or a morning run, whatever, mm. so that you, you know, you link it to a, another change of behavior, especially um, when you, what happens with sleep as well. You wake up an hour earlier. I got an hour more a day um, every day when I wasn't drinking. Just wake up an hour earlier and I'm ready for the day. I mean, not, you know, the spring lamb thing that we all want to be like, bing, but it was still an hour earlier. Yeah. And in that hour, you could do so much. You could go go do your vigorous walk or you could go run around the park. You could do that stuff and feel brilliant for the rest of the day or go for your your swim. So, yeah, there are so many benefits of stopping Thing, socially, it is a bit of an anathema. There's no dressing it up. Um, if you're out with a group of friends, they easily will lose track about whether you're drinking a soft drink or an alcoholic drink. You don't have to alert everyone to it. You can just say, oh, yeah, I'll have a glass of wine and then let it sit on the table and don't drink it and just be drinking from the carafe of tap water if you want. I mean, you know, no one's watching you. You're mm. the one that's hyper aware of your own drinking, but no one necessarily else is. But by, if you're out with a group of mates, if you still want to like them the next day, you need to go by about 9, 9.30. If you're mm. sober and they're drinking, by about that time in the evening, they are so dull. They, have, <laughs> they are repeating themselves. They're as dull as ditch water. Everyone who you thought was fascinating and remarkable suddenly becomes really, really dull. So mm. you just have to tell them, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go. And that way you can you know, love them for another time. Mm. Too mm. with them all, and escape with your sanity intact. Yes, um, yeah. And you gave me a, a statistic about dry January. Yeah. So, fifty um, percent of everyone who does dry January um, stops and has stopped, given up by around. I always thought it's the seventeenth, but it's the sixteenth of January. Around fifty percent of everyone who commits to dry January has stopped by the 16th. So that shows you it's quite a challenge. Mm. But, you know, even that two weeks, if you manage it from the 1st of Jan to the 16th, 17th, you still had a break. 
And it'd be interesting to look at what what starts you off, because what you can get is a lot of pressure from partners and friends. If your partner's saying, oh, for God's sake, have a glass of wine, or mm. for God's sake, have a beer with me, or I'm sick of drinking on my own, let's go out and have a beer together. You know, have an awareness. With food, we say, who's feeding you? And with drink, it's who's plying you, who's coercively saying to you, I want you to drink this. Who's bringing booze home suddenly that never used to bring a bottle home because they want, they preferred you when you were drinking. Mm. So there are are lots of social pressures to carry on drinking. And what do you think that people can do when they uh, have social pressure or stress or whatever, an alternative to drinking what are those things that people that possibly they could do to alleviate that that feeling of of pressure that or or alleviate whatever it is they're feeling that they would normally turn to alcohol for well they're red flags in a in a relationship if you've got Mm. a partner if you're stopping alcohol and you've got a partner that's encouraged, you know, moaning at you and encouraging you just to restart. That's quite something. Mm. Um, it's it's an it's an easy deadening thing. Do you, w- w- did you have in mind that it would be other drinks that you could drink, or or is it other behaviours? I think other behaviours because I know that in terms of other drinks, it's like because I mean that's a myriad of things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all of the things that the adult drinks. Yeah, um, yeah. All of the things that are basically alcohol-free are disgusting tasting. Exactly. They are. Uh, There's so uh, many beers now that are not so bad. Um, what What you're looking for with alcohol is a change of state, feeling different. And that's what alcohol gives us. It gives us a change of state. And when I did the 100 days and didn't drink at all for 100 days, I was obsessed with coffee because coffee gave me a change of state. Mm-hmm. And and then, I, you know, you can't drink that much coffee. And then you have to look for other ways to change state. And the way to change state is about brain chemicals. And brain chemicals kick in after 20 minutes of extended exercise which could be fast walking so this is the dopamine and serotonin that that gets released in your brain it takes 20 minutes to be released and those are the feel-good hormones that make us feel incredible so if you if you're not keen on going for a walk and you think oh god i've got to go out for a walk don't stop at 10 minutes and don't stop at 12 or 14 do 15 minutes and at least allow the dopamine and the serotonin to be downloaded by your brain so that you have an opportunity to change state naturally and feel good. So that's that's something you can do. You can do that for da- in dancing. You can do that singing in the shower. You know, you can, there are lots of ways to achieve the dopamine mm. and serotonin that are very pleasurable as well. Sex does it. So just have sex instead. So do yeah. that. <laughs> That's a fun thing to do. You can even yeah. do Sobo. Imagine that. Yeah. Which is yeah, fantastic. Um, and as we, I know uh, we were saying, you know, this is the festive, festive period. Um, are there any other, I suppose, any other tips that you can share for people to, I suppose, get through the the um the festive the festive period to get through Christmas, um, 
you know, without turning to alcohol. I'm, I'm, and I'm not talking about the ones that you just said, but you know, in terms of social interaction, it's well, there anyway. Well, for a lot of people, Christmas is a time when so much pressure is put on people to go out or socialize or do things for their family or their extended family. And especially women can get really put upon and put into really difficult situations. So I try to encourage my clients to practice saying no. Yeah. And the idea that no is a muscle, you know, saying no to demands on your time and your energy is women especially on when we've never been raised to put our own needs first. We've been raised to be compliant and biddable and pleasant and lovely. And society puts great store in women who are all of those things, biddable and lovely and, you know, delightful and put themselves on the back burner while they help everyone else out. Mm. So getting women to practice saying no. So I set a target of, say, five small no's a day. And you can say no to another cup of coffee. You can say no to certainly for to a drink. But, you know, f- every time you say no to something, just say, oh, I've said no. And it, when you reach your five per day, then try, try for a bigger no. Just mm-hmm. think of it as a muscle that you're putting back into training. And you are, as the more you, um, the more practice you have of saying no, the easier it becomes for you to take care of yourself and keep your boundaries that protect you in place. Mm-hmm. And when you say no, you don't have to go and do a long, big explanation about, oh, no, I, can't, I have to say no to this because blah, 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 blah. you do a stuck record. Oh, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm really sorry. And they say, oh, yeah, but I'm relying on you. Oh, yeah, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm sorry. Yes, but you did it last year and I was expecting you to do it this year. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't. You know, just keep it really brief and repeat it. It's called a stuck record. Just keep to your stuck record and stick to your no. That is fantastic. Yeah. And and actually something that's easy relatively yeah. to yes. implement. I mean, women are fearful of saying no. No one will like mm. me if I say no. And it becomes yeah. a currency for women. In particular, though, I, I know very many men that have done it as well. So being like it, being liked and being biddable becomes the currency that they think that's all they have to offer um, in, to their friends and to their family. But it's not true. You are enough in yourself and it's okay to say no. Yeah, which is really of so much utmost importance, this, this perception that yeah, that we that we can't refuse things because you know refusal often offends. Yes. You know, actually, you know, refusal is integral for self uh, health, I suppose, and for mental health. If you don't want to do yeah. something, yeah. it's self worth. We say no yeah. when we value ourselves and value taking care of ourselves. And we value our time and our energy, and time and energy are limited for everyone. And, you know, this constant giving it out for others becomes, um, it's really self-defeating. And it's something that you all might turn to drink to mm-hmm. cope with mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of, I mean, drink's always a mask for other stuff. And it's, and when you've got that period of sobriety, when you've got that period, whether it's a week or two weeks or whatever you want to manage to do or, or are able to do, it's time to have a look. It's time to have a look. What would I have to address if I wasn't slightly drunk all the time or I've met people who have really, really difficult, challenging jobs. And then the minute they come home from work, they start drinking 
And I said to them, wow, that means that you're either at work or you're drunk. And it's quite a kind of like, whoa, I am. I mean, I'm actually either at work or I'm drunk. And when you've had that realisation, it's not tenable to carry that on anymore. No. So what would I have to look at? What would I have to address if I had clarity? And the thing that sobriety gives all of us is incredible clarity. And clarity is revolutionary. While we're drugging ourselves and doping ourselves, we are drugging ourselves on our sofa and we're stuck and we're saying we're staying put. When we've got clarity, then we can do anything, literally do anything. So it yeah. is a, it's a revolutionary act. It is a revolutionary act, isn't that's that's so it's so important, isn't it? It's so and it's so fun. Well, it's that importance that you know, it's fundamental. It's so yeah. fundamental. Um, saying no and also looking and having self-awareness and questioning why we are, as you say, why we do do these things. Because if somebody who's just working and then just getting drunk, I'm like, wow, well, let's look at the work. What's, you know, what's that doing to you for you to, to want to just to drink, to escape the, you know, to, to escape being with yourself and looking at yourself and looking at your life. God. So, um, yes, I'm thinking (laughs) this is great for, uh, this is great. Thank you for these strategies for, for, um, helping people cope with the stress of Christmas because it is stressful, isn't it? It's all of it is stressful. Even more so now with social media, because we've got this, comparison thing or going on that you can go mm. on social media and you can go on instagram and you can look i think we've talked about this before in an earlier episode mm. you can look at the perfect christmas or the perfect family in their matching pajamas and you think well why am my lot always squabbling and why haven't we got matching pajamas and why am i really worried about money and why aren't why aren't i buying these incredible presents that everyone else seems to have and you know those are not those are not our measures. They're not the measures that are mm. going to bring us any real joy or happiness. Mm. Mm. They're just distractions. Yeah, you're so right. It it is that distraction and as well that the whole commercialization of Christmas, of spending time together uh, yeah. with your family. It's it's not about the actual the actual quality time. It's about what did I receive? What did I get them? And also it's a realisation that spending time with one's family isn't always easy. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not the Waltons, so spending mm. time with family can be really challenging. But it's not as it's less scary and less challenging when you do it sober. Mm. You don't have that terrible fear the next morning, like, what did I say? Or what did they so-and-so mean by that when they said this? And you don't do the post-mortems because you had clarity all the way through. Mm. And you were able to manage your behavior and behave appropriately. It doesn't matter what the rest of them are doing because you were sober. It's it's really powerful. It's really it, powerful. It is really powerful. So, so then, Sally, what yeah. would you say for three three things that people can do? I know we've talked about, you know, sure. about this generally, but three actionable steps. I know we one is saying no. Yeah. Um, one is don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> or don't and it's a of time. You know, don't set great goals because yeah. goals are going to come and bite you on the bum. It's it's a, a day at a time. 
And, yeah. and people who've given up alcohol have had that like tattooed on their wrist a day at a time. Just do today. Just stay in the moment. Do today, and then see how tomorrow feels when it's tomorrow. A day at a time, and decide who you're going to tell. You can just do it quietly and secretly on your own. Uh, lots of even people who are in couples and tight relationships, they just decide on their own to do it because mm. they're going to either be defected by what other people say or it's going to set up expectations from other people or fears from other people. Be aware of who's afraid that you're sober. Be aware yeah. of what friends are. Oh, I don't want to go out with you anymore. You're no fun. You don't drink. Or, you know, partners that say, for God's sake, have a drink with me. Have an awareness of the dynamics around booze. Why do people like you when you've had mm -hmm. a drink more than they mm -hmm. like you when you're sober? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And it will take a while to laugh spontaneously sober, but it's in you. Seriously, it's a magical moment when you actually see something funny and you're stone cold sober and you're just laughing hysterically. It's like being a <laughs> child again. <laughs> really nice. It's fantastic. Oh. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I mean, kindness and kindness. Mm -hmm. If you get to eight o'clock and think, oh, I can't do it. I'm going to have a drink. You know, kindness at all times to yourself. Compassion. Who knows what you're going through? It can be tough. So all of that stuff. Um I think my key thing is a day at a time. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Sally, thank you. Wow, thank you. I think that's, I think it's, it's so everything that you say. I mean, I love you coming on this show anyway and us having our conversations because every time you deliver such, um, such wisdom and, so, and, and it's digestible. And it's actionable and people can understand that they don't need to, like you say, we need to be kind to ourselves. We don't need to put ourselves down in any way. We don't need to be hard on ourselves. We just need to, as you say, take small steps one day at a time. And our journey is our journey, completely separate and different from anyone else's journey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, it's so brilliant to have you on. Thank you so much. And if people want to contact you, I'll put all your details in the show notes. But please, can you just give us your contact details? Yeah. So my name is Sally Baker again, and Sally Baker. And my website is workingonthebody.com. And there's a link on there for a free discovery call if anyone wants to reach out and make contact. Brilliant. And please do, people. Um, so thank you again, everyone, for listening up to this episode of the Perception Podcast. Have a really fantastic Christmas and New Year. Um, yeah, I should say bottoms up. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I could say I could say cheers, but what whatever you want to fill your glass with, you know, here's to you. So um yeah, please um, listen, like, share and subscribe. And I'll see you again next week on another episode of the Perception Podcast. Bye.